Welcome to Pop Culture Hangfire with Christian and Gabriel, 1980s. You never today. You you never do the the podcast where, huh? No, I don't. I say I say the year. My intro's different. I'm unique. I'm a special snowflake. To be fair, also, I I have done that, but I always have to correct and say we're usually, and then but this year we're alternating. That's true. So. I think I never got used to saying that because I would always say, I said it a couple times, but then I would say, but this time I'm doing, but I'm always doing in this one. Season two, baby. It's normal. The year, 1984. McDonald's made their 50 billionth hamburger. Ronald Reagan was president of the United States, and George H.W. Bush was the vice president. Burt's Bees, a personal care products company, started. The first syndicated version of Jeopardy aired, and Alex Trebek was the program's host. I I saw a documentary about Burt's Beeswax, and I did not know it was 1984, but that's awesome. I mean, I, you know what's funny is, like, I never, like, wondered when they started. Like, I didn't notice them until, like... I don't even know when in the 2000s, you know, like kind of they seemed like they blew up like late 2000s, early 2010s, maybe. That's when they started to be at, like prolific in like drugstores and stuff. I want to say, yeah, that's when I saw them like at Walgreens and outside of like those, you know, little boutique. Yeah. yeah. If I had to guess, I probably would have guessed they had started like probably later in the 90s if I was guessing based on the timeline. So like that is interesting that he was just kind of around. And then finally. Yeah, I saw I saw part of a documentary too. He seemed like a pretty weird dude. He I'm not did, gonna lie. he did. Uh, but you know, a good brand like the dude. You know, you know what's interesting too is that um, I stumbled onto an app recently that I used to. Uh, it was actually recommended by a friend to like scan personal care products, and it tells you like how safe they are on a scale based on like ingredients and stuff. You know how you're in a place where they actually care more about the human being, and they won't allow a lot of dyes and things that are potentially harmful into your food slash products you absorb in your skin. Whereas here in America, it's the Wild West, baby. Anything goes. There is no FDA here. It is the country that says no. <laughs> Inject that petroleum directly into your veins. <laughs> so um, it's interesting because a lot of things that like I grew up regularly with like products and brands like aren't necessarily that good Burt's Bees gets a good score not on every single thing you do have to like some individually uh of the flavors of the you know uh lip balm for example might not be as good but like generally speaking actually gets a pretty good uh passing grade on that stuff so all right beeswax it is yeah I I keep the original flavor that's it like I never I've never like I, I can even look look at this it's you know uh the plain one Right, I mean the 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 bird the beeswax flavor, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. What else. This one tastes like bees. <laughs> so yes, that one. Oh, why do you have so many? Uh, so I get multi packs for Christmas, and I pride myself on actually using up the entire Christmas uh, gift? stick. Oh, <laughs> well, the entire stick, right? So like, through my early life, I would lose them periodically. Like, it was classic. Like you go about halfway through. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the sticks or you leave it in and your like, pocket oh, and it gone. melts right all the laundry that's the worst especially if it gets all the way to the dryer because then it gets on something but um as an adult i'm a far more responsible uh you know chapstick user and uh 
I, I've, I, you know, when you use it kind of rarely and also, you know, cause I mean, Vegas is not a cold environment. So the air here is probably it's, it's dry cause it's the Southwest, but it's not as dry as if it were winter and cold, <laughs> cold air. Usually here we're that, warm most of the time. So I think I just don't use it that much, but, but even the, in the desert, right. That's a good enough reason to wear it. Cause your lips are, are chapped and dried. Yeah, but they just don't get chapped and dry as much out here. Well, maybe... so between that and being a, a, a very responsible adult whose benchmark uh, for success is that I don't put my pocket items in the laundry. <laughs> Back to that. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> I, make, I make pretty good progress with those. So I, I just have so many. But yeah, good, good stuff. Have you seen any of the Jeopardy since they've had the different uh, hosts? No, no. Uh, I was rooting for LeVar Burton, but that never mm. happened. So, Yeah, that's a shame. They missed an opportunity, I think, there. He's so lovable. He is. He is. All right. Let's move on to some births here. Starting off strong, we have Avril Lavigne, Canadian rock musician. <laughs> Skater boy. Uh, that is, you know, I, I remember when she came out... Uh, I you know I think I think it was the late '90s, early 2000s. Mm -hmm. I had missed that that uh, I, like my version of her was like Blink 182 when I was a teenager. Right. So she did not fall into my category. Plus, I already had Gwen Stefani with it, "I'm Just a Girl," so she was my like you know that's who I was holding on to. So Avril Lavigne was was for somebody just a, a tad bit younger than me. Speaking of someone who's a tad bit younger, I didn't. I wasn't exposed when it was brand new to, to anything but the like the, the radio hits. Like I didn't like go buy albums or anything, but I did see plenty of her around and or, like early crush. Gonna be honest. Oh, I mean she's gorgeous. Like the aesthetic. She's gorgeous now, dude. So she oh my was... god, she looks the same now. <laughs> she does actually. I, I, I have all these wrinkles, and she looks the same. She does. <laughs> she looks amazing. And she was no, uh, and she was married to the uh, some forty one guy, right? Was it? Also that because she was married to the nickel, wasn't it, uh, Nickelback, 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 too, yeah. Right? Was it? <laughs> she's just going through. The, <laughs> she's going through her playlist, going, "All right, all right." <laughs> oh, God, <that's> nice. <laughs> um, I might be wrong, but hang on, let's see. No, so, I don't think you are. I think it is. But I always think of uh, Chad Kroger. Yeah, uh, Derek, uh, Derek Wibley. Was that how you say his name? I think probably. So. Um, um, you know, that looks like what it is. Hey, look, she's sticking to Canadians, too. How about that? I mean, she knows her brand. So, yes, they, they were married, right? Yep. Yeah, see? I'm smart. Wait, who's the, the current one? Is he also Canadian? I don't know who the current nope. one is. He's Amer uh, it's Mod Son, American singer. Ah, she went American. Well, I mean, you know, fool me once, right? Fool me twice. Fool me twice. Yeah, no. I was just going to say she ran out of Canadians in rock bands. But, like, I mean, obviously that's not true. No, but maybe again, she just she's like, no, these Can Canadian rockers are just too much. I need an America. I need a it's normal one. It's not working. <laughs> she's becoming radicalized. <laughs> uh, next up, we have Kate McKinnon, American actress and comedian. Dude, I love her, and I loved because she left Saturday Night Live last year. She was one of my favorites in Saturday Night Live. And um, as much as I didn't like the Ghostbusters movie, the all female cast, it, she was great mm -hmm. in it. She's a she's a such a such a really really funny funny uh, actor and comedian. Yeah, I think my only exposure to her is Saturday Night Live. I just took a quick look at movies recently, and 
I haven't seen any of the of these that they're showing. Yeah, no. And again, if, if Saturday Night Live was it, then you got the best of her. Awesome. Once again, once again, being lazy paid off. Uh, next up, Garrett Hedlund, American actor. I know him from a few things, but Four Brothers. He was the, well. That movie is so much fun. He was the kid, right? In that one, yeah. he was the youngest. He that movie was just fun to watch, and and the actors were just having so much fun doing it. He was great in that. He was really good in that. And I think that he also he was also in in the movie. The movie version of On the Road, right? From Jack Kerouac's book? Uh, let's see. I believe he played Jack Kerouac or, or um, Dean Moriarty. Yeah, I, he was Dean. He was Dean. He was Dean, right? Yeah, I I'm, I mean, On the Road is probably the top top five of, of my favorite books of all time. Um, that movie, I had trouble watching. It was not a good movie. Ooh. Yeah. But yeah, I remember he, he was in that. No, he's a, he's a, he's a, he's a, he's a good actor. He was in Troy too. That's right. He was in the new Tron. Yeah, yeah. No way. Tron and Troy. He oh yeah. Both. I was thinking Tron too. You were thinking Troy. You're right. Yep. He was Brad Pitt's uh, Achilles's uh, nephew or cousin. Oh wow. Oh, he's been around. Look at him go. Yeah. Uh, all right. Next up, LeBron James. I believe you can just say King James and call it that, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not a basketball fan, but again, it's one of those things where he's crossed over. I don't. I like. You know, it's funny. Like they're always saying, like, you know, um, Michael J- Michael Jordan and Kobe, Kobe and and LeBron, LeBron and Michael Jordan. At the end of the day, you're only as good as your peers in your generation. There's no way you can compare. The world that was the 1980s and 90s for Michael Jordan, or like you know, uh, 1990s for Michael Jordan, to what LeBron, yeah. what LeBron is doing now. Because thanks to Michael Jordan, we have the quality of players that LeBron had to had to play against. You know, um, yeah. So you on you, the backs of Giants. Yeah. So you could say, oh, LeBron harded harder because m- way more great players. But then you're like, yeah, but old school players, dude. When you look at the rivalry between Larry Bird and Michael. Jo- uh, Magic Johnson, you're like, there's very few people who could have survived that in our from our current roster that could have survived Larry Bird or Magic Johnson. So there's a different quality of what was happening during the time. So anyway, back to LeBron. I, I, you know, he obviously has earned his uh, his awards and he's earned his place in history. But I think this whole comparing thing is it's kind of pointless. Well, it's always going to happen and it's always going to be skewed in every sport with every comparison, you know. Because things change, and again, I'm not a I'm not a, a basketball like fan or follower either. Um, it's all outside looking in. Um, but he did uh, he did just break the all time scoring record. I read that, yeah, yeah, that was all over the news. All right, uh, last but not least on our list, Trevor Noah. Oh man, what a wonderful, wonderful uh, comedian! I I think. And maybe the reason why he left the the Daily Show is that his career has slowly been defined by the Daily Show. I I mean it's one of those things where like I'm sad to see him go because he made that show for me. Like I actually haven't gone out of my way to watch it since he left. Um, I still follow it on uh, social media, so I've seen some clips. But like throughout, like it, it was a big. Uh, I got a lot of my news from him during COVID. I'm going to be honest, where, where like comedy news was like where you'd get some of the best takes. 
and Trevor Noah particularly stands out to me as someone who uh, had a <laughs> amusing and uh, helpful insight. But uh, I, I think he's doing that, like, you know, you want to leave on a high note, too. It's a combination of, like, you don't want to be, this is the only thing. And also, like, you don't want to do it until it's no longer good. And I think I think he even said he wanted to leave on a high. And, and yeah, no, he's definitely leaving on a high. Um, I have watched it, like, with the guest host. It's been kind of funny. Like, I, uh, you know, Leslie Jones was on, and she's hilarious. That was, I did see some from D.L. Hughley was on. I think John Leguizamo's coming up to do his, uh, his week. So, that, you know, looking forward to that. Uh, but you're right. He left on a very, a very good note. Um, but his stand-up, though, I think that I think that I'll I'll be glad to see him go back into stand-up because he was he was an, a phenomenal stand-up comedian. He is a phenomenal yeah, stand-up comedian. He is one that I would actually I would I would see uh, I would be interested in seeing live. I'm sure he'll be out here too. Yeah. All right. Moving on to deaths. Kind of. Uh, we have uh, two rays today. Uh, our first ray is Ray Kroc. American fast food entrepreneur who founded McDonald's. In 1980, following a stroke, he entered an alcohol rehabilitation facility. He died four years later of heart failure at a hospital in San Diego, California, on January 14, 1984, at the age of 81, and was buried in El Camino Memorial Park in Sorrento Valley, San Diego. Now, having watched the movie The Founder, this is not one of the McDonald brothers, right? This is the guy who took their brand and basically made it what it is now. And then the guy that was the marketing guy. Yes. And slowly started to re uh, write the origin of McDonald's. He was also a big real estate guy, right? That was his secret to success was forget the restaurants. Like you want to own the land they're on. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was a, it was a, it was a really good movie, dude. Uh, Michael Keaton, I think played him, right? Ray Kroc. Yeah, it got a lot of accolades. I think that is something I, I I do want to watch at some point. Yeah, it's very good. And and again, like you can almost because because uh, McDonald's had like three or four locations in the West Coast, right? In California, from like Sacramento down to like uh, Arizona, maybe. And this guy came and saw potential, offered to do something for them, and then started making decisions for them, which again made McDonald's what it is today. But at the same a, time, a global though, global brand. At the same time, though, he was being a little shifty with the whole owning the land and like, you know, the properties and stuff like that. But anyway, uh, OK, go on. Anyone else about Mr. Ray Kroc? Yeah, a couple interesting things. So he he owned the Padres for 10 years. Wow. From 74 until his death in 84. After his death, the Padres in 1984 wore a special patch with Kroc's initials, R.A.K., they won the uh, NL pennant for the year and played in the 1984 World Series, which they lost to the Detroit Tigers. Kroc was inducted posthumously as part of the inaugural class of the San Diego Padres Hall of Fame in 1999. Oh, okay. I didn't even know there was an affiliation. Um, a note about the chain. By the time he died, there was 7,500 outlets in the United States and in 31 other countries and territories. The total system-wide sales of its restaurants were more than eight billion in 1983, and his personal fortune amounted to some 600 million in 80s money, which is like 1.2 billion. Oh wow, damn! And the McDonald's brothers got nothing. Well, I mean, they got—I mean, they got paid, but you know, okay. Damn, Ray Kroc, get it. 
one dollar in 1980s equivalent well this is 1980 so you know a little off but is equivalent to the purchasing power of about three dollars and sixty cents today so this dude was 1.8 billion damn yeah so what billionaire you, in today's what do you do with all that money anyway I think you buy twitter <sighs> what do you do with <laughs> if the, you just don't want to have that much money anymore I'm what saying. do you do with the other billion <laughs> <laughs> You try to fix Twitter after you bought it. Fuck. Okay. Uh, All right. On to the next Ray. Ray Moore, American comic writer, born 1905, uh, comic strip artist. After uh, Lee Falk, he was the first artist on what would become the world's most popular adventure comic strip, The Phantom, which started in 1936. That was the world's most popular comic strip? Wow. That's what that's what that's what Wiki said. Because I would have thought like Tintin or like Dick Tracy, you know. Okay, go on, go on. Uh, Moore was known to be as mysterious as the Phantom character he illustrated. He lived most of his life in Missouri together with his wife Claire. Prior to 2011, only two photos of him were known to exist, both in profile. His face was therefore quite unknown to the world, and if he, on rare occasion, did an interview, he seldom mentioned his private life. So this the is, idea. Uh, sorry, so this is a little bit of like this is different though, huh? Where he didn't he he didn't go into hiding because of his fame. He was just always in hiding. Okay, yeah, he always just kind of that was his job, and he didn't. Yeah. Uh, the idea of Phantom's pet wolf Devil is believed to have come from Moore's lifelong pleasure of drawing wolves and his love of dogs. Oh. Uh, he died in Manchester, Missouri, in 1984 of a stroke. He was survived by his wife, Claire, who died in 2005. Oh, wow. Um, Mary Adelia Moore, now deceased, his younger brother, David Yearly Moore Jr., his nephew, and great nieces. He had 13 acres of woodland uh, that they owned in Des Perez, Missouri, uh, and that was donated to the Department, uh, Missouri Department of Conservation and named Phantom Forest after his comic okay, hero. That's, that's too cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought I had to include that part. Oh, imagine going to Phantom Forest. Ah, oh, that'd be cool. And be like, wow, why did it get this cool name? Literally after a comic book character. Nice. Yeah, so interesting. I didn't know anything about him prior to, to doing the background here for, for the show. So um, that was very interesting. I was that like, is. which comic is this? And I was like, oh, the Phantom, I know that. Yeah, I figured you, know, you would. At least yeah, in yeah. passing. All right, on to the movies. Yes. We have some very big movies and we have some not very big movies <laughs> it's very it's interesting we also have some that are just famous nowadays but like did not did not do a lot so let's start off with conan the destroyer released june 29th 1984 budget of 18 million box office is interesting because it gives a range and i couldn't find a better number 26.4 to 31 million really Mm-hmm. Because this is part two, right? So you would have thought yep. people would have been looking forward to it. Um, in his second cinematic adventure, the mighty warrior Conan, Arnold Schwarzenegger, is tricked into working for the scheming queen Teramis, Sarah Douglas. Along with finding a magical horn, Conan and his allies, which include the fierce fighter Zula, Grace Jones, and the wisecracking sorcerer Akiro, Mako, must protect the beautiful young princess ja- Jahana, Olivia Dabo, with... Deception and danger at every turn. Conan has to use all of his power to defeat the evil foes that stand in his way. And given that it's Arnold, that's a lot of power, I would say. Isn't there somebody else in this film? Um, 
I feel like there was a basketball player in it too. Yeah, um, uh, Wilt Chamberlain. He he ventured into acting in the eighties and went through a few movies. He was in this too. I'm surprised. It yep, Bombata. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool, 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 cool. Yeah, I uh, I I'm sure I have seen this because I've seen. I'm pretty sure I've seen all the Conan, the Schwarzenegger Conans, but it's definitely been a long time. Yeah, and then I think this one, I think this one gets overshadowed by the first one, obviously, which is the best for one. sure, and and by Red Sonia, Sonia, um, because it's 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 called Red Sonia, and he's almost like a a co-star. Arnold is, so I think this one gets a little bit forgotten because of that. Okay, yeah, I can see that. What is best in life? The first Conan. The first Conan, yeah, and the second one weeps. <laughs> Our next movie is The Last Starfighter. Oh. Go on. Released go on. July 13th, 1984. Budget 15 million. Box office is 29 million. So again, not huge. It did make its money back though. Did. So good for them, considering what it is. It's a fantastic uh, film, dude. I don't care what I, anybody says. And this I'm, is one of my earlier memories. And I'm surprised that it hasn't been remade, to be honest with you. I but, but go on, go I on. Mean, now, now, I'm curious that you've seen it. now I'm curious that you've seen it. Yeah, I saw it. Um, and again, it's one of my early, early memories because it was still at my like the first apartment that we lived at. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if it had come on TV or if it was like a thing my dad got because he liked it. Like I, I couldn't tell you. I just remember sitting and watching it and being pretty enthralled as a child because I was pretty. I would have had to have been like somewhere between like I think like three and five when I saw it. Dude, can I say that if you've seen, if you like this, you would like that movie Enemy Mine that we talked about, um, yeah, briefly, with Dennis Quaid and Louis Gossett Jr. about the, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, this is very reminiscent in that same style of fantasy. Like you would actually like Enemy Mine. Okay, I'm gonna make a note of that. All right, all right. Um, synopsis here: uh, After finally achieving the high score on Starfighter, his favorite arcade game, everyday teenager Alex Rogan, <laughs> Lance Guest meets the game's designer, Centauri, Robert Preston, who reveals that he created Starfighter as a training ground for developing and recruiting actual pilots to help fight a war in space. Whisked away from the banality of his trailer park life to a distant alien planet, Alex struggles to use his video game playing skills to pilot a real ship with real lives at stake. It's just a fun premise, honestly. It really is, dude. I'm telling you, and that's why I'm like, and at the height of like, of, of uh, you know, Arcade. of, of arcades, yeah. So and and again, arcades would stay popular for the next fifteen years. So it was totally relatable. It was relevant. And and the, look, and I I I've seen this movie more times than I can remember. And I remember that thing of like when you're in a position where like, like and I think that's a really great description, like the banality of his trailer park life. It's I think too many people can relate with that moment, you know, of like. You're you're supposed to be something doing something greater than what you're doing, and you know you're supposed to, and your chance comes. I think with the advent of video games, that that feeling kind of persists to yeah. this day. Yeah. Like that is an escape for so many young people. Like, and myself, I, I can absolutely identify with that. I always play big epic games where you were like the chosen one somehow, you know? Go back to Morrowind, go back to like, you know, any of that kind of stuff. And it's like I um I like part of me is like they shouldn't touch this movie, but if they don't, this movie will be lost into to history, and and it, it's yeah. like, that's the problem, right? That if you don't remake it, people will forget that this movie existed. So part of me is like somebody's gonna fucking ruin it. James Cameron is gonna ruin this movie, or Michael <laughs> Bay is gonna ruin this remake. 
Who uh what's his who did uh the remix for Star Trek? Oh, JJ? Yeah, get JJ to put the lens flare all over it. Uh, <laughs> but again, I, I hope it would drive people to watch the original because it is a very, very charming movie. It really is. It is. Oh, okay. Wow, 1984. Next, yeah, next up, The Terminator. Oh, fucking Arnold had a year. Oh, man. Compared to uh, uh, Conan, released October 26th of 1984 with a budget of only $6.4 Do you know what the box office on this was? It was a fairly. It's the first one, Mike. Yeah, it was fairly. I'm going to say ninety to a hundred million. Little, a little bit low, or a little bit high in your guess. I'm sorry, it's a little bit lower than that. Seventy-eight point three, but for a six million dollar budget, and again, the first in the series, so people didn't know. And really, the look, I remember this movie. You know where the budget went? Him removing his eye and him fixing his arm. That's where the The, budget probably went. The special effects. (laughs) Yes, it went into that. It didn't go into wardrobe because he walked up and had to steal it. He did. <laughs> he did. And, um, well, you know who he steals it from, right? A young Bill Paxton. <laughs> there it is. He's one of the... Yeah, that's right. He's one of the punks at the... Uh, the yeah, he's um, the punk. Oh, man, this is the um, the observatory in L.A. What is it called? I, I don't think it's the L.A. observatory. I think it has a name. But, yeah, dude, I, I, I used to go there all the time because you could you could hike from there to the Hollywood Letters. It was a it was a great, yeah. it was a great uh, a spot. As much of a disaster as all of the various iterations later after two, it was kind of funny to see the them do the re remake of that scene in the oh, later. In the, yes, yeah, it was still fun. <laughs> yeah, no, this was a really really fun film, and again, like it was basic action, right? Like there wasn't a lot. I mean, there was a, a really great storytelling. I mean, there was some special and effects. like sus- suspense. You know, yeah. like it was the whole. You know, uh, inoxorable like robot coming to get you. And again, like this is Arnold in his peak form. Like he was a robot. Like he was supposed to, and he did look like a robot. It was perfect. Yeah, he did he, perfect. Yeah, he was he the was, perfect cast for he it. He was. He was. What a great film. Yeah, a classic, and just something that spawned. I mean, we're at it's seven a now. Testament at seven on so, a TV, a TV show? show. Yeah, the Sarah Connor Chronicles. I'm sure multiple video games. I don't even know how many at this point, but yeah. uh, it's a testament to its popularity too. That despite movies that have like met mixed success and stuff, that they keep going back to it because it's popular enough. Uh, next, we have another big boy, Oof. Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Oh man! Released May eighth, nineteen eighty four, with a budget of twenty eight point one seven million. That's a lot of money for nineteen eighty four. What what is his box office though? 270. 333.1 million. Holy cow. They knew what to expect. This is movie number two. And (laughs) and you know what? I mean, one was was really good, but two, again, it was, they did such a good job of being able to put him in so many different episodes. It just felt so different. Yeah, you know, like, he could have had an adventure like this in every film, and they could have I mean, kept it going. He, we we have. <laughs> no, no, but they could have kept it going like every two At the three time, years. Yeah. yeah, you know, like yeah, yeah, because it, it, he could have had these little individual adventures that didn't really have to connect to one big story. You know, it was yeah. it was him. Very episodic. Yes, episodic. Thank you. And this is the one with um with short round right the the little Asian yes. kid who's who's actually yes. who's back in the news now because of he is. everything everywhere all at once huh 
Yeah, yeah, I've seen him around a bunch. Yeah, yeah. Uh, our our synopsis here: adventure sequel, uh, intrepid archaeologist Indiana Jones on the trail of fortune and glory in old Shanghai is ricocheted into a dangerous adventure in India with his faithful companion Short Round and nightclub singer Willie Scott. Indy goes in search of the magical uh, Sankara Stone. I'm sure I, I can't remember how they pronounce it. It's been so long, uh, and uncovers the ancient evil which threatens all who come in contact with it. Uh, with the famous Kalima, you know, the, yeah, the, the heart, the heart, and then the the children enslaving to like mine for gold or diamonds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and the monkey brains, right? Monkey brain, chilled monkey brain, chilled monkey brains. Yeah, delicacy. Yeah, like none of the none of the Indiana Jones movies have ever not been interesting and fun and adventurous. I mean, like, well, I mean, okay, let me. <laughs> Uh, let me just say that after three, uh, it was almost a real hot take. Yeah, yeah. This new one. Let's let's be curious what this new one's Let about. Him cook. Let's see. Yeah, <laughs> maybe it's a new. Um, it's a new. Uh, no time to die. You know, like they're a good closer. You know, I, I hope they learned from the fourth installment because I would really like to see. I mean, the fourth installment did capture the same kind of adventurous feel. There was just some of the heart was missing. It yeah. felt like. Yeah. No pun on Galima. All right. Next up, Firestarter, 1984 edition, Ooh, this obviously. Is, this is the Stephen King one, right, with uh, Drew Barrymore? Correct. Correct. Yeah. Um, released May 11th, 1984, a budget of $12 million. Oh, wow. A, a box office take of 17.1 to 18.9 million. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, you know, recouped as youths, Andy McGee, David Keith and future wife Vicky Heather Locklear participated in secret experiments, allowing themselves to be subjected to mysterious medical tests. Years later, the couple's daughter Charlie, Drew Barrymore, begins to exhibit the ability of setting fires solely with her mind. This volatile talent makes the youngster extremely dangerous, and soon she becomes the target for the enigmatic agency known as the Shop. Yeah, I remember this movie specifically because Drew Barrymore is in it. She's like seven, maybe, or nine. Um, and yeah, she has the ability to like start fire. So she's a pyro. I think there's a specific term, um, telekinesis, you know, pyro pyrokineticist. Yeah, maybe. And I remember it's a Stephen King book and I remember, and I'm surprised by how well, how, how not great it did considering this is after ET. So you would have thought that, you know, like she had some clout to like go with, but apparently not enough. Not enough. But it was a good movie, if I remember correctly. I yeah. Mean, I haven't seen I, it too many times, but you know. I wouldn't have known that the new one was a remake, except that we did this. Because I just... <laughs> oh, I mean, I didn't watch either. <laughs> Wasn't even tempted. I'm going to say this is not a movie to, to, like, that I would have you put on your list. This no, is a movie that if no. if somebody suggested it and it was you were being nice to them, you, you would let them play it. You know, or if you're just a big fan... Of the author, and you just want to watch all the things. That's no true. What, you he, I mean, he's got like 20-something, so yeah. Keep you busy for a minute. Uh, next, Supergirl. Ooh. Released November of 1984 with a budget of $35 million. That's a lot of money. Holy what God. was the box office take? I can tell you right now, because I know about this movie, they used footage from like the Superman movie, like... This movie was so confusing. It was it was not even connected to the Superman movie, by the way. They had no mention of it. I'm going to say they didn't get their money back. I'm going to go on a limb. And what? So you said, how much did you say was the budget? 
35 million. So divided by two, 18 million box office they got back. A little bit too generous. Ooh. They got 14.3 million. Oh, no. Not even half. Ugh. Yeah, rough. So uh, the story, Kara of Argo City poses as Clark Kent's cousin, Linda Lee, oh, to, recover, to recover the Omega Hedron from the evil Terran sorceress. From an evil, I'm sorry, Terran sorceress. Based on the DC Comics characters, Supergirl is a 1984 British superhero film. Okay, that's directed a, there's by, your first red flag, by the way. <laughs> yeah, huge red flag. Directed by Jeannot Swark. I don't know. I'm sure that's a mispronunciation. From a screenplay by David Odell, based on the DC Comics character of the same name. It is the fourth film in the superhero in the Superman film series set after the events of Superman three and serving as a spin-off for the series. The film stars really? Heaven Slater as Supergirl, along with Faye Dunaway, Hart uh I don't know how to pronounce that last name, Bachner, Peter Cook, Mia Farrow, Brenda Vaccaro, and Peter O'Toole, with Mark McClure reprising his role as Jimmy Olsen. There's your tie in. Direct tie in Jimmy. Tied in. Oh wow. And Peter O'Toole. Uh, and it is a spin-off. Yeah, and Peter O'Toole, I remember, played like the the Kryptonian person that 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 helps her. Um, oh wow, I did. I thought it was not connected to the other films. That's why I did so terribly. Uh, I I mean, we could blame the British for that. We can add that to their list of sins. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, you know, they are the Republic, right? Taxation without representation. Yeah. Supergirl, nineteen eighty four. You know, Star Wars. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Every bad guy in Star uh, Wars is British. <laughs> that's true. We villainized them ever since. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. I I wasn't aware of this either. But again, I'm not like a I'm not the biggest DC follower. So, yeah. No. No. I you mean, you're fine. You don't have to. You don't. It's have to go good back to know this. that DC has been disappointing their fans for so long because it's consistent, right? It shows a consistency in the brand. Although, if I'm if I'm correct, Helen Slater, who played Supergirl. Will also go on to play Buffy the Vampire Slayer in Buffy the Vampire Slayer the movie, or am I thinking of Swanson, Nikki Swanson, or Helen Swanson? Uh, Hang might, on, let's see. I might be thinking Super of Helen Girl. Swanson or something Swanson. She was in Lassie. Yeah, no, no. I'm thinking of Is that. Else. That no, no. I'm, I'm you confusing know, not, her because there was a I bet Lassie could take a vampire. She, yeah, I'm pretty sure she fought the mummy too. She's pretty smart. Uh, okay, no, no, I, I was. Yeah, I think it's a different one. Yeah, yeah, no, no, it makes sense. I'm, I'm thinking of, of, of somebody else, either named Slater or named Helen, but I think Swanson, Christy Swanson, I think is the Buffy the Vampire Slayer movie with Luke Perry before it became very famous as a TV show with uh, Sarah Michelle Gellar. Anyway, yeah, moving on. I mean, Slater's a cool name. She had a, she had the name for it. Yeah, I mean, you know, you have famous uh, snow, uh, not snowboarder, um, surfer Kelly Slater, right? There you go. Also, uh, it was Saved by the Bell, right? Uh, Slater. I want to say yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Our last movie uh, for today, uh, Amadeus. Oh, dude, I watched this in elementary. My school showed us this in our music class. Such a great film. Okay, go on. I'm sorry. Released September 19th of 1984 with a budget of $18 million. How much do you think a movie about Mozart got? Look, here's the thing. 
my school promoted the hell out of this movie. I'm going to say triple their money, 60, 70 million. Give it to them. They did better than that. They got 90. Oh, wow. Wow, really? This movie was that yeah. successful? Hell yeah. Huh. Wolfgang never disappoints. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about Wolfgang, the movie, Gabe. Why, why did you Wolfgang, say Wolfgang? <laughs> why did this make 90 million? Well, Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart, Tom Huls, uh, is a remarkable, remarkably talented young Viennese composer who unwittingly finds a fierce rival in the disciplined and determined Antonio Soleri, F. Murray Abraham. Resenting Mozart for both his hedonistic lifestyle and his undeniable talent, the highly religious Soleri is gradually consumed by his jealousy and becomes obsessed with Mozart's downfall, leading to a devious scheme that has dire consequences for both men. It is a Mozart thriller, it sounds like. <laughs> you know, it, it is because you it starts with somebody confessing to killing, uh, to killing Mozart. And oh, then damn. he starts to tell you about the story and it's his rival, uh, Soleri who tells you what happened that led to the death of Mozart. And then, but then you, you get the actual story, you know, like he doesn't fill in. Um, that, is, that is classic thriller uh, setup where you do the, the end first. The yeah, gotcha. no, no. It was a, I'm telling you, it was a really fun film. And that actor dude who played uh, Mozart, he was so good in that film. I forget what else he was in, but uh, um, let's see. But he was so so good. I, honestly, if you haven't seen it and it's if it's ever an option, I would say watch it. It's a fun film. I feel like I have, but it would definitely have been a real long time because it would have been one of those mildly educational. Yeah, I'm telling you, I watched it in in in, in elementary school in my music class. Like that was a thing. Okay, Tom was also in Animal House. Okay, and Animal uh, House was before this, right? No, after. Yeah, 78. Oh, 78. Okay, yeah, yeah. He was in The Hunchback. He voiced a character in The Hunchback. Oh, okay. Uh, and the second in The Hunchback 2. That's a direct connection to me, by the way, because The Hunchback was a movie I saw over 60 times in the summer of 1994, 95, when I was working at the El Capitan Theater. There you go. Yeah. Just a huge humpback fan or hunchback fan. No, no. I was a I was an usher and that was the only movie that played. And in my shift, it was played at three times. So three wow. times a day for a summer. <laughs> uh he was in Jumper in two thousand eight. Okay, no. I, I'm I, I just remember him being very good in that and like I feel like I saw him in a bunch of other things because of that. But no, never mind. Yeah. I, I might be thinking actually of of Animal House, to be honest with you. <laughs> That's fair. Uh, all right. First appearances. We have Michelle Yeoh in The Owl vs. Bamboo. Okay, I'm going to guess that's a, <laughs> that's a 1980s uh, kung fu movie from, uh, you know, not America? It has the name. Let's see. Uh, a Thief, Samo. Oh, Samo Hung's in it. Okay. And his partner, George Lamb, are being blackmailed by an unknown extortionist. I mean... Is she the owl a, or Bumbo? He, she's probably the owl. I'm going to guess she's the owl. Let's see. I mean, she doesn't seem like a Bumbo. She doesn't. It's her first credit as Michelle Kahn. They were like, you know what? You can just keep your first name because nobody knows who you are. <laughs> Little did they know. Sa Samo is Bumbo and George Lamb is owl. Oh, so she didn't even get to be owl. Okay. Cool, 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 she's cool. just a, a bit player. Get, look, 1984, and right now she's currently, uh, you know, trending because of her work in 
in um you know everything all at once or everything yeah. uh, i mean what look, award did she just get i don't know but uh she should have i don't know if she got an oscar but she should have got an oscar for um crouching tiger hidden dragon she was amazing yeah, that was that. that was a friggin miss on the academy's part yeah they weren't ready for that in 2005 or 6 no. or whenever that came out i can't was it that she won i don't follow the oscars enough to be cognizant or was she just nominated and didn't get it i don't even know i'm just making a a a very blind um statement that i assume she did not get uh or because i know that movie must have gotten award i think that movie was nominated for movie of the year uh or film of the year or, or, or directing or i'm pretty sure it should have gotten like an oscar for choreography you know, like yeah, she. I don't think she got it. Okay. She became the first Asian Best Actress nominee. Okay, there you go. Wow, good for her. She broke the mold. Twenty twenty three. It took. Wait, she just got it for this current film, not for it, Jan- January twenty fourth, twenty twenty three. So she got it for everything all at once, not for Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Yeah. What did Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon get nominated for, if not for her performance? Cho Young Fat, huh? Cho Young Fat probably. Got, probably got it. And again, look, if that movie must have been nominated for Best Picture, maybe Best Director, because that was Ang Lee, uh, definitely for choreography okay. and costume, probably. Right? Was it yeah, Academy Award for Best Picture, Okay. Best Directing, uh-huh. Best International Feature Film, Okay. Best Music, Mm-hmm. Best production design, best costume design. Oh, I got three so far. What about uh, uh, there's so many other awards mixed in? Is choreography, because <laughs> the the action scenes, the, the fight scenes were incredibly well choreographed. Uh, so it won best film, it oh, won okay. best screenplay adapted, best performance by an actress in a leading role. Not show you. Oh, that's BAFTA. I'm sorry, I'm looking at the wrong thing. Oh, I was okay. gonna say, wait a second, Academy Awards. Here we are. It won best cinematography, ah. best music. Best Art Direction, Best mm. Foreign Language Film, Best Picture, Best Director. Oh, it did. I, I skipped in the way. I'm, I'm screwing all this up. Hang on. It won <laughs> Best Cinematography. The category is weird. It's how this tiny chart that doesn't really define where the line is. Mm. So it won Best Cinematography, Best Music Original Score, Best Art, and Best Foreign Language Film. It was also further nominated for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Writing, Screenplay Based on Material Previously Produced or Published, Best costume design, best film editing, and best music. That's ten nominations, dude. Now the music was also very good. I'm surprised that none of the actors got any nominations. Yeah, nope. Just get out of here, guys. All right. Okay. Okay. Cool. Cool. Our next first appearance is Jean Claude Van Damme in Breaking. Gabe, I have a video (laughs) vault for you for this one. (laughs) Right. All right, because I am a huge fan of the movie Breaking, and I'm a huge fan of this scene. Okay, so let me see. How do I maximize? Enhance. Got to use 1980s language. Oh, yeah. You can see this uh, Venice Beach scene, right? Very, yeah. It's very, uh, very 80s Venice. Looks like it. Okay, so this is breaking the opening first five minutes where Jean-Claude Van Damme makes his debut appearance in television and movies. All right. You don't have audio? Mm Mm-mm. Shit. 
Okay, I know what I need to do. Okay. Do you, do you have the strength to do it? <laughs> <laughs> okay, and if I do this, you can see in here. Yes. Okay, so let's start. Come on up here. pause that because so far van damme has been on the scene three times and you have not said anything I, 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 it's a it's a little bit fuzzy i have not clearly identified oh no okay let me uh go ahead and just send you this link because although i know what breaking is a reference to that's break dancing <laughs> i did not i i hadn't guessed i was i was suspending my disbelief and waiting to see okay so i need you to watch it now and we're going to just let it, because, again, like at that point, I've seen him three times. <laughs> and you didn't say anything, so I was like, he must be captivated by the breakdancing. Oh, I was playing the audio. Hear me while I'm playing audio. Probably. Go ahead. Play. Okay, there he is. <laughs> Love the onesie. I mean, I don't think it's a onesie. I think it's 1980s normal attire. <laughs> Right, right. No, no. It's that's normal street attire. What about what about the dude's uh, red, uh, you know, midriff tank top? (laughs) Well, that's very eighties. Or the guy with the with the guy with the gold gym with the short shorts, also midriff tank top. (laughs) How else are you going to show the gains, man? (laughs) Clearly, he gyms. (laughs) He's really into it now. He's doing this, right? I mean, you. He's given it his all. Like this is obvious why he became a big star. But it's also obviously why it's credited as his first appearance, right? Because he's really like there's a few people in the background and you can only remember this man right here. If this wasn't what Venice Beach was like in the eighties, I don't want to know what it was actually like. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie to you, dude. Venice Beach was this four years ago. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit, a dance off. Uh oh. He's getting served. It's Electro. It's his nemesis. I think you know you've you've made it as a dancer if you have a nemesis. I like, though, that even Van Damme seems a little concerned. Like, whoa, what's going on here? Am I going to have to step in? Yeah. Doesn't he's, he have he's that? He's deciding which martial art he's going to use to destroy that guy. He's almost offended for the guy that's being challenged, right? Doesn't he look like, he oh, is. I'm about to. He's have. living vicariously. He is definitely thinking, like, this is not breakdancing. I'm going to have to use my martial arts. Yeah. There's a concerned look <laughs> in his face, bro. He did look very concerned. Sold it. I'm sold. So, yes, when they refer to Jean-Claude Van Damme's debut into movies. His breakthrough. His breakthrough. They're referring to that scene, Gabe. Just want you to know that. Now, because I love breaking and breaking to Electric Boogaloo so much, I I, I saved those movies for myself to talk about in the next episode. But I needed you to see this today. <laughs> that was that was worth it. I appreciate that. Next up, we have Val Kilmer in Top Secret. Have you seen Top Secret? <laughs> I have not. Okay, so Top Secret is a... Remember the Naked Gun film? Yes. Okay, imagine that, Top Secret, except starring Val Kilmer. 
All right. Yeah. It's about a college kid who goes on a top secret mission against probably the Russians. And it's just hijinks and slapstick and like that style of film. It's the Germans. It's the East Germans. It's the East Germans. Okay. Yeah. That's what top secret is. It is, it is, it is like, yeah, it's naked gun. It's, um, stealing from like Monty Python. It's a little bit of everything. Yeah. It's good stuff. It is. And he actually. is a baby in this. He is. He's probably in his early 20s, if even that. Yeah. And he's got that beautiful 80s hair. <laughs> you mean the Val Kilmer. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he cleaned up for Top Gun. You know, did the did the classic, you know, put a lot of gel in your hair. Uh, our final first appearance uh, for today is Tim Robbins in Toy Soldiers. Uh, so... That movie, I I sorta kinda remember. He wasn't uh, he wasn't the lead in it, but it's 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 basically. I remember there was a boat, and they're held hostage in the boat, and then the the people have to fight back. Is what I remember. Again, not a movie I would say go watch, but Tim Robbins, young Tim Robbins, is in it. I mean, uh, you you nailed it pretty much. The synopsis is very short. A yacht captain, Jason Miller, and his sidekick. Cleavon Little help a Beverly Hills teen, Terry Garber, and her friends out of Central America. Okay, so and by the way, do you know who Cleavon Little is? Uh he was not offhand. He was the lead from Blazing Saddles. That now I know who he is. Yeah. You know what's funny is that this like this got a 4.8 out of 10 IMDB, 2.8 out of 5 letterboxed, and 6.4 out of 10 Blu-ray.com, but 90% of Google users liked this movie. Look at that. The fans have spoken. <laughs> well, I've talked a lot as usual, and so we'll have to end it here for today. Um, find us at Pop Culture Hangfire on Instagram and tune in next week for the final episode of 1984. 1984 to Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> <laughs>